New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Everybody to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and with me today to talk about the close of the transfer window, one, two, three, four, four days after it closed, which is obviously the ideal time to talk about the close of the transfer window, are two friends, neither of whom I would put up for sale, even if Todd Bowley's Chelsea podcast uh, came in with a way over the top offer. It's Graham Ruthven. Hello, Graham. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. That is very, very kind of you. But the the fact is that Todd Bowley, even though I am not his property, has actually tried to sell me this summer. <laughs> so he's beat you to it there. I, I don't know how I feel about that. That feels like tapping up. We're going to have some words, me and Todd. Uh, joining us, rounding out the crew, is Mr. Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Taylor, all it's going to take to solve that is a Budweiser or whatever that beer was. Todd's going to oh. drop a few cold ones right. your way. You guys are going to drink right. a little bit. You're going to have a good time. And all beer. of a sudden, what happens yeah. to Graham just doesn't seem to matter so much. Do you think that when you go to Stamford Bridge, like, so when you go to the Harry Potter world at Universal, like the theme park, you can get oh, like yeah. a butter beer. Do you think when you go to Stamford Bridge, you can buy a Bowley beer? It's like a, it's like a thing that they have branded <laughs> as part of the, the, the experience. So yes. And then my assumption is automatically that because that man has never had a, like a Budweiser or a Bud Light, it's probably room temperature as well. It's oh, a room no. temperature Bud Light is the Bowley beer and it costs, I don't know. $13, but you can spread that out over six years if you want to. I, that's how I think this is clear like I think this is clear like Capital's next big thing. <laughs> yeah. is, that's what I think. <laughs> well, if they do end up doing that, I'm sure we'll talk about it on our next uh, transfer show. But today, we're talking about some of the deadline day deals that happened that we haven't yet discussed or haven't discussed in full. We're also going to talk the best moves of the window, the worst moves of the window. I'm sure Manchester United will figure in there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I'm not inc- excited to find out where. But first, Graham, let's start with some of the deadline day deals the Cole Palmer one is an interesting one he moves from Manchester City to Chelsea another Chelsea signing I believe he makes their 13th of the window which is not a small number for a single club unless you're playing FIFA career mode yeah, the Cole Palmer signing is probably the most interesting one of deadline day. I think it was it was the the highest value in terms of the fee as well. So he goes from Manchester City to Chelsea for forty five million pounds, around about fifty five million euros, and I think there are some add ons included in that deal as well. And there's just something about that transfer that really hits home to me how crazy this summer's transfer market was. That's forty five million pounds for a player with three Premier League appearances to his name. Now, Cole Palmer looks like a like a good player. Seemed like he was making a bit of a breakthrough at Manchester City. But FFP, financial fair play, has just completely warped the market for young players yep. because it's now more attractive to sell academy players because they go down on the balance sheet as pure profit. So Manchester City, I'm, I'm sure Man City would have liked to have kept hold of 
Cole Palmer. But when they balance it with, well, selling a fringe player who's not really going to feature much for us this season is going to help us comply with FFP and sign Jeremy Doku and sign Matthias Nunez, who are players who are a little bit more advanced, obviously, in their development, then it becomes more attractive. And my question from that point is, is that really how FFP was meant to work? It is just, <laughs> it's this bizarre thing where Premier League clubs are now incentivized to sell their academy players rather than keeping them as players who have cost nothing to, or not nothing, obviously there's academy costs, but they haven't paid a transfer fee for these players. You would assume on the face of it, that would be better for FFP. But no, now clubs are selling these players just because they want the pure cash. And the bizarre thing is that if, if Cole Palmer had been a Chelsea academy player, mm-hmm. They almost certainly would have sold them in this window, just like they yep. sold Mason Mount and, and, and Lewis Hall. So yeah, the transfer market is just completely backwards and bonkers at the moment. Graham, that was going to be my question. Like, do you understand what it takes to be considered an academy player? Like if you bring somebody in for two years, if they're developed elsewhere and then they're there for two years, is that still pure profit or does some of that money get kicked on? I, I, like there seems to be overlapping provisions that make this even murkier than it otherwise already was. Yeah, so my knowledge on this subject primarily comes from Football Manager. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the rules on this have changed a lot recently because of Brexit and the UK leaving the single market and all that, all that good stuff. But it used to certainly be three years before the age of 21 yeah. was what classed you as an, as an academy player. I don't know whether that has changed now in the, in the last couple of seasons, but even if it has changed, I'd imagine it's, it's something similar to, to, to that effect. And then I know that uh, for do- like domestic players, even if they're developed elsewhere, they count as homegrown players for like squad provision standpoint. So maybe Chelsea are just planning to try to then sell Cole Palmer on for even more and then count him as a, a homegrown player. We'll see if they do that. I-, I don't think it would work particularly well. Joe, do you get the sense that Cole Palmer is going to work particularly well for Chelsea this season? That's sort of where I remain confused by this one. It's another player who can play centrally, don't get me wrong, uh, but also wants to be a winger, I I think, which is odd to me when you have Chelsea with so many wide attackers. My assumption is that they will end up using him more centrally or trying to use him there, but it still feels like an area that they already had plenty of depth and then added more depth to it. I think I'm a little more uh, on the, this is a not necessary, but you know logical kind of signing for Chelsea. Yes, they have plenty of players in basically every position because they've made an absurd number of transfers at this point under Todd Bowley. But you think about some of the players they moved in the offseason, no more Hakeem Ziyech, no more Christian Pulisic, no more Mason Mount. I, I think this is an area of the squad that maybe could use some strengthening, which says a bit about how Chelsea have operated, the fact that it took them this long and this many players to get to that point. Not that it was completely necessary, but I think Palmer fits well for them in the half spaces, which is where he came off the bench and played against Nottingham Forest. He played in the right half space. He's left-footed, so he likes to cut inside on that left foot from the right side. We saw that at times with with City. We saw him play on the left at times at City as well. This is a guy who can play, Taylor, to, to kind of your point about him maybe being central. He can play in that role as well. The reality is we still don't know a ton about Cole Palmer. You know, he's played a decent chunk of minutes. Like, you know, he's played several hundred minutes throughout his time with Man City. But that's not a lot, right? He has not played a ton at the professional level for us to have a great gauge of how impactful he's going to be. Now, I watched a bunch of film this morning, and he does look like a very good, well-rounded, versatile attacking player. Again, very good on his left foot, good close control, good size. I think he's six foot. Like, he, he kind of is again, at a surface level, the total package. We're just going to get to see how exactly he fits in with this Chelsea team that's very much trying to find itself. One one other thing for Chelsea. 
We've seen them go to under Pochettino in the last several games now, really just two pure forwards on the field. Not that that's what the structure looked like, but it's been Jackson and Sterling, and then Enzo Fernandez playing in a more advanced role. That's just another example that maybe Pochettino hasn't loved the winger options that he's been presented with. Not that he hasn't had influence over the squad during this transfer window, but I think if, if he feels like Cole Palmer could be a guy to really help this team move forward, it wouldn't surprise me, frankly, if Palmer plays a big role and does exactly that this season. Just one final point on on Cole Palmer, and one thing that confuses me a little bit is I am not convinced that Chelsea is a better place for his development than Manchester City. It's not like he has notably moved up the pecking order by going to Chelsea, maybe ever so slightly, maybe one player he's moved up the pecking order. But this is a, a young a young, uh, a young, attacker who was starting to get rotational minutes for Man City, was starting cup games, he scores in the UEFA Super Cup last month. He's, so he is. He was in the picture for Man City, and you look at how many players at Chelsea have have just run through that club without making any sort of impact. And look, maybe he's getting paid a load more money. I suspect that is probably a factor in his decision. But for his own career, I'm I'm not convinced that I believe Cole Palmer is more destined to become a star at Chelsea than he was at Man City. And to continue that line of thinking, Graham, what I read was that basically Nkunku gets the injury is out and so Cole Palmer is in as more like like more of a depth option but also potential starting option but it then also feels like a potential issue down the road when Nkuku comes back I I I would echo what you said that Palmer it, it could be a really smart signing it could be one that ends up working out for them it just also feels like one that you could see a player sort of flatline in their development especially if other players start to get those minutes it's always a great strategy to sign players permanently to play in the place of <laughs> injured players. That's yes, always a really yes. solid strategy there, Chelsea. <laughs> Who you spent more for. Yeah, Nkunku, I think, <laughs> 60 million euros. Cole Palmer, 47 million euros uh, when you do the conversions. Some interesting business uh, from, from Chelsea. We'll talk more about them, I'm sure. Uh, Joe, anything else on Cole Palmer? Or should we talk about Ryan Gravenberg for a, minute, for a moment? Let's talk, let's talk about Ryan, not the one who's not here, but the other one who's okay. not here, the Dutch one. Let's do that one. The, the Dutch one, whose name I'm still not entirely sure how we pronounce. I hope one of you has an idea. Are, are we liking this one, uh, Ryan Gravenberg moving from uh, Bayern Munich to Liverpool on, on deadline day? Joe, how say you? I like this move a lot. I liked him going to Bayern Munich in the first place, Ryan Gravenberg, and it, it doesn't work out for him there. Thomas Tuchel doesn't seem to rate him basically at all as a player, saying, like, we have three number eights already in, in the squad and not mentioning Gravenberg's name among them. And so did not seem too sad to see the 21-year-old Dutch midfielder leave. A little bit of background. Last year was his first year with Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga coming over from Ajax, and it was not an easy year for him or anyone associated with Bayern Munich, right? They have the coaching change in the middle of the year, or towards the end of the year, but they have a coaching change, some, some tumult higher up the organization, and not a huge surprise that a younger member of that midfield couldn't really find his way into meaningful minutes. So personally, and maybe you guys disagree, I don't ding Ryan Gravenberch much for how last season went. I still view him very similarly to how I viewed him when he was moving from Ajax to the Bundesliga in the first place. Great ball carrier, long strides, like big kind of lanky frame, solid vision in midfield. His best asset truly is his ability to progress the ball in possession. And he's got some upside defensively because of his range in that frame, even though he is not at all the finished product on that side of the ball. Liverpool have apparently been interested in him for years now, and I think he is a no-brainer deadline day signing as a depth piece in midfield for them who could play 2,000 minutes across all competitions this year. None of us would really bat an eye. His role is not super clear in terms of where he's going to be yeah. positioned because of, of the changes 
that Jurgen Klopp has made to the midfield structure. I think he makes perfect sense. In the old 4-3-3 with a 6 and two eights. he can be that left side of number 8, really push the ball forward and, and do a lot of defensive running, if not you know effective tackling in that midfield area. Now that it's more of a box, at least in, in sort of the early build-up moments, I don't love him as a lone six, defending as a lone six, which is what the player next to TAA is doing in that midfield. And I don't love him high up in the half spaces either. So Graham, I don't really know where he's going to play, but I feel like this is a case of you get a really, really talented young player that you can mold and you kind of worry about the details later. Yeah, I, I come at this signing from two different sides. So Graven Birch is, it seems like a great player. We enjoyed watching him at Ajax. Um, but then I, I, to echo your point, your latter point there, uh, Joe, I look at how he struggled to get into the Bayern Munich team with with Kimmich and Goretzka ahead of him. And I look at the situation at Liverpool and I, I kind of envisage something a little bit similar because I've seen I've read some articles on from um, tactics bloggers and Liverpool fans who have um, put forward the idea that he might actually be molded into a number six. Right now, I, I I can't see that happening. I don't think he's a good fit for that position. I don't think he has the defensive instincts for that position. He is still young, so maybe he will add that to his game. I think for past Jurgen Klopp Liverpool teams, he would be excellent in transition and carrying the ball forward with those long strides that you talked about, Joe. But Liverpool in the last couple of seasons, and certainly from what we've seen from them this year, have transitioned into a more possession-heavy team with Alexander-Arnold in the middle. And so I'm not convinced that it is a great stylistic fit for him. As good a player as he is and he can be, I'm not sure that Liverpool was the best destination for him. I agree with everything Graham said, but then still think it's a really smart signing, and here's why. Uh, I go back to, strangely, there was the piece written in The Athletic, I forget who wrote it, I apologize, about Artur and that signing, that he never ends up playing for Liverpool, obviously, but it kind of goes in depth on why they made the move for him, uh, and then he comes in, he's not at fitness, and he's not up to the technical speed needed for Liverpool, and right around the time he is rounding into that form and seems to be developing the way they need him to, he picks up another injury, is out for the rest of the season, and that sort of limits the effectiveness, and then he's he's out the door. But that sticks in my head as sometimes Liverpool makes signings to have an immediate impact, and sometimes it seems like Klopp makes signings to mold the player into what he needs. It's a similar thing we talk about with Pep, that it can take a little bit of time for a player to find that footing. And so this is where I say, Joe, that like maybe they use him in that 4-3-3 in an area where he seems to make more sense or is more comfortable, and then he does play a ton of minutes, and we're not surprised. But I also won't be surprised if he doesn't play a ton of minutes as they sort of mold him into what they need him to be, and he becomes a key contributor in the second half of the season, maybe even next season. But I think he is such a good player, such a talented player, that sort of either way, I don't really have an issue with this one because either it makes them better soon or it makes them better long term if you kind of let Klopp cook, if you let them work together, which I think they will. So I think it, it makes a lot of sense to me for that for that reason. It's just worth finding the solution. Like I, I am so high on Raven, uh, Ryan Gravenberch, easy for me to say, as, as a player. Mm -hmm. I think it's worth sort of backing your way into figuring out how to get him minutes for a Liverpool team that's still undergoing something of a transformation, like them getting younger in midfield and having another body that you would not, again, you would not blink if he's starting in a huge game for them because he's that good of a player. I just think it makes sense, even yeah. if the, the specifics around how he's used are still fuzzy. I did enjoy how many articles I saw talk about how they're like building for the youth and how the average age of their midfield signings is like 24, I think. And then you look at Wathero Endu, who is a player <laughs> I, I think was a really smart signing, but I think he's 30. So if you pull yeah. him out of that one, I think that number, that average drops a little bit. I also think that was a really 
wise signing, bringing in a, a player of his caliber, of his experience, who I think will will do a lot of the like not glorious work, but I think it comes in ready to go from that Stuttgart team. So I, I, I liked uh, Liverpool's window, but yeah, Gravenberch uh, is a big reason why I enjoyed it so much. So some good work from Liverpool on deadline day. Anything else from Liverpool or should we talk about Manchester United for a moment? Well, I guess a big story with Liverpool at the moment is is, is whether they keep hold of Mohamed Salah. There's a lot ah, bubbling yes. there with the Saudi transfer window open for a couple extra days. And apparently it's Al Hittihad, I think, that are the interested club. They have had one bid of £150 million rejected and they are preparing another bid of £200 million. If it gets to £200 million in a straight fee, yeah. regardless of how good Mohamed Salah is for Liverpool, he's 31 years old now. I think Liverpool take that money and that 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 changes the outlook of their season yep. until they maybe get a replacement in but looking to the medium to long term that is probably the sensible if somewhat painful decision for them to make. It's wild that that is the case and that you could have their like I would say they have like a four and a half out of five right now for me in their in their like summer business. And then if you sell Salah for 200 million it's a smart move and at the same time it immediately like reduces my estimations and my expectations for them so i wouldn't begrudge them for making that sale at the same time it does throw things into chaos just a little bit but you assume that then they'll be able to spend i don't know 40 percent more than they need to on a player in january because of that just amount, the whole uh, that bundesliga they're just going to yes. sign every player in the bundesliga in january <laughs> Perfect. Well, they can't have Sofian Amrabat. He uh, moves from Fiorentina to Manchester United in a move that I am still very excited by, even if I have some questions about it. But Amrabat is a player that I at least I think we all uh, fell in love with uh, during the Qatar World Cup for his WWE-esque antics. He was the hype <laughs> man. He was the, the physical presence. Uh, I wouldn't say he stood out to me in his technical play, though he is obviously uh, pretty okay on the ball. Uh, so this move, gentlemen, uh, I don't know if either one of you wants to start us off, uh, but Sofian Amrabat Graham, let's go with you from Fiorentina to Manchester United. How say you? So this this signing feels like a big old band-aid for the Manchester United midfield. Um, he he might be a pretty effective band-aid though. Uh-huh. It's 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 not a it's not a terrible signing. I do think he will improve Manchester United's uh, <laughs> midfield. Not a terrible and... signing. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I will say is, it, it, I think band-aid is the right term because he will improve Manchester United, but it, it doesn't say a great deal about Manchester United's strategy that they leave it until deadline day to sign a player that feels. This signing feels like it could have a big outcome on the on the success or failure of Manchester United's season, so that doesn't say a great deal for their 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 planning. And the fact that Ten Hag reportedly pushed so hard for him to be signed, Manchester United actually didn't have the money for for this signing, which which should be noted that he is on he's on loan right from Fiorentina. They didn't have the money to sign him permanently. Fiorentina wanted twenty million euros, which. Again, doesn't say a great deal for Manchester United's situation that they either weren't able or willing to pay that money to sign him permanently. Half but the a fact Cole that, Palmer, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> the fact that Ten Hag pushes so hard to get him in the door, even on loan, that says to me that he knows his midfield rebuild hasn't hasn't worked, or at least it hasn't worked initially. Maybe Mason Mount is is, is molded as the season goes on, but right now he needs a player like Sophie and Amrabat. And when we spoke spoke about Amrabat earlier in the window, the, the consensus among us, I think, was that Amrabat would be a depth option behind Casemiro for that position. I think that situation has now changed. I think the idea might be that Casemiro and Amrabat will play alongside mm-hmm. each other in a double pivot. Casemiro clearly still an excellent player, but 
his early performances this season paint the picture of a player who doesn't have the physical attributes that he used to have, can't cover the ground like he used to, and Sam Rabat will be brought in alongside him. I get what you're saying, Taylor, about his technical ability, and that's certainly what we saw from him with Morocco at the World Cup, where he was a very sort of conservative destroyer for Morocco, and he didn't really play with the ball much because Morocco didn't play with the ball much. That wasn't their game plan. But I did watch quite a bit of Fiorentina in both Serie A and in, in the Europa Conference League run to the final last season. And they were a very different sort of team. They were, they were quite expansive. They wanted the ball. They had the second highest average share of possession last season in Serie A. And so I do think Amrabat has that other side of, of his game. Now, I'm not saying he's Kevin De Bruyne or anything, but I, I do think he is a decent signing in that he can be used in a number of different ways in a number of different midfield setups for Manchester United this season. I agree with you that he will most likely be in that double pivot with Casemiro. That does make a lot of sense, and I think it's been the case. Casemiro has been more aggressive in his positioning at times this season, in my opinion. Uh, but I think that also is is part of why Manchester United looks so vulnerable uh, through the middle on on counterattacks, uh, is because I think his positioning can require him to get back into shape. And even uh, in the Arsenal game this past weekend, twice I saw him sort of do that, like, oh, we lost the ball? All right, here's my quick little jog. Eh, I'm slowly jogging now I don't really want to get back into shape so I feel like Amrabat will be that plug in the middle the question then becomes Graham why spend 60 million on Mason (laughs) Mount well the second half spoiler alert here but the second half of this episode will be best and worst signings of the whole Uh of of the window as a whole and I have a feeling that Mason Mount might uh, might feature in that list but yeah Amrabat has his tracking back does anyone remember from the World Cup when in the game in the semi-final against France Kylian Mbappe is running down the left wing and then Amrabat like Roadrunner comes out of nowhere and just absolutely like slides. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, wow. Actually, I've never thought of that. Maybe that is Sophie and Amrabat. There is a similarity there. But yeah, Amrabat just comes out of nowhere and absolutely crunches Mbappe and then takes the ball away. I think Manchester United fans are hoping that they'll see mm-hmm. that side of Amrabat because that, that is desperately, that sort of, is it effort? Is that the word I'm looking for? I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Intensity. It, it's been lacking from Manchester United early on this I, season. I disagree with both of you in regards to how Amrabat's going to be used, uh, at least with the caveat that if Eric Ten Hag uses them together, Casemiro and Amrabat, on a consistent basis, that will require him to compromise his vision for how soccer should be played, at least in large part, right? I think you'll do that. The, uh, and that's possible, Graham. It is possible. I think if we're going to see that consistently, it's going to be much later on in the season because Eric Ten Hag still wants to try to make something with the pieces that he really believes in. I think Amrabat's most obvious fit in this team immediately is as a rotation piece, rotating in with Casemiro when Casemiro needs rest. I mean, he's over 30 at this point, Casemiro, Amrabat's a few years younger at 27. I just have a hard time seeing Ten Hag against, maybe maybe against any team that's not competing with Manchester United in the top six or top seven. I have a hard time seeing Ten Hag go with Amrabat and Casemiro together and expect to really break through a team that's sitting deeper. Like Amrabat... Yeah, he's got, a, he's got a decent right foot. He's a connector more than he is a playmaker. And Casemiro has more flair to his game. But he's not like a, a I'm going to break lines 11 times out of 10 kind of player either and feed the attacking group. I think it's still going to be one of these deeper line players. And Amrabat very much is a defensive midfielder. I think it's going to be one of them alongside some combination of Bruno, Eriksen, Mason Mount. I, I don't want to get it twisted. I'm not saying that this is an ideal situation for Manchester United. I'm the one coming out and saying if this is their squad and expecting to crack the top four, they're going to have a difficult season. And I think you know everybody's kind of realized that at this point, including the folks behind the scenes at Manchester United. 
but I, I have a really hard time seeing these two play together a lot, at least anytime soon. It's interesting. I, I think the thing that keeps me from fully embracing that idea, Joe, is that they pushed so hard to make this happen as late as they did. It, it doesn't feel like you would be all in trying to make a signing if you're looking at, at a depth option, especially when they like kept hold of Scott McTominay, who isn't like good enough to do like a Casemiro job. Watch your mouth. <laughs> but I think also can be a capable deputy. So uh, it feels to me like maybe, maybe that maybe then if we're like splitting the difference, it's against stronger opposition where they don't expect to have as much of the ball or expect that they could be at risk uh, in transition. That that's where we see the double pivot. And then could maybe be. against uh, perceived yeah. weaker opponents that then maybe it's changed up well, there. And, and this, this is why you make moves, right? It's so that you have the options. It's the same with Liverpool and their midfield group, right? It's, it's not going to be black and white. It's not just going to be what I'm saying, which is why I tried to add some qualifiers. It's not just going to be the double pivot with the two of them either. Manchester United have a bunch of games to play this year. Every, everybody does. We're going to see a lot of different looks. And when your starter in the six spot is, is over 30 and has looked how he's looked in transition so far this season, which Taylor, you detailed quite well, like, yeah, you do need to prioritize finding somebody to either spell him or make his life way easier on the field. The challenge and part of the reason why there are so many unknowns here is it's still just so unclear how Mason Mount is going to impact this team, what exactly Christian Eriksen has left in the tank. Like, so many things are up in the air for Manchester United that even when we zoom in on, on even just one position within the midfield group, it, it feels like answers are few and far between. Uh, I hope this will make sense. Uh, with everything that we've said in mind, the, the vibe I get from Sofian Amrabat is that he is a yes boss sort of guy. He's a yes chef guy. He is a like, I, what do you need me to do? I will do that thing. You need me to run 70 yards at full speed even when I'm gassed? I will do it. Like, I think there is that intensity. There is that uh, deliberateness to his game and that coachability to his game combined with the intensity. And I do feel like that's something that has been lacking from this United team. So if you're bringing in a player who sort of exemplifies work hard, train hard, uh, and and the team follows suit, I think that signing then makes even more sense. And that is part of yeah. why I think he comes in, is he is a no-nonsense, get-the-job-done sort of guy, at least to my understanding. And so a team that maybe hasn't had that uh, motivation or intensity at times in training and in games this season, maybe maybe that's also part of the intangibles as to why you bring him in. Yeah, particularly because Amrabat and Ten Hag have worked together before, which I know is really unusual for an Eric Ten Hag signing for it to be a player yeah. that he's worked at, worked <laughs> with at another club before. Um, but yeah, the, the two of them were at Utrecht, I think. In the, Isn't in the that? So don't we kind of consider there. that to be a bad idea when a when a coach moves Generally. to a club and then they bring that one player yep. with them? Okay, but at least Eric Ten Hag's brought like six players with him. So and they've all worked perfectly and nothing's been wrong. Don't fact check that. Let's talk Brennan Johnson moving from Forest to Spurs. Uh, another deadline day move that I think maybe wasn't as on my radar as the last one we're going to talk about. But for either of you, uh, what are we making of this one? Yeah, I think it's a decent signing for Spurs. It's a lot of money. So the 22-year-old's moving to Tottenham for $60 million after you do the conversion. Oof. He was fine in the Premier League last year. Eight <laughs> goals in almost 3,000 minutes. Like that That's kind of how I think yeah. about a fine season. He played a ton of minutes. Couldn't quite crack double digits in the Premier League in terms of goal scoring. I think racked up 10 in all comps maybe for them last year. But it's easy to see how he fits with Tottenham, right? Really, really good speed is able to keep the width, which makes a lot of sense for how Ange Postacoglu wants to play with the wingers truly being wingers so much of the time. Not that there aren't some rotations, but the fullbacks pinch inside, the midfielders stick in the half spaces. Go listen to Soccer 101 from last week from these two to learn more about that. And then the wingers are really wide hugging the, the touchlines. 
to uh, really create as much spread across the opposing back line as possible. I think Brennan Johnson can do that job and use his speed to make life really miserable for opposing fullbacks, or he could rotate into more central areas and kind of play as an inside forward. I think the only reason I'm hesitant about this move is that it's still very much a potential grab for Tottenham. It's We have not seen the finished product for Brennan Johnson at a level that is comparable to where Spurs want to be this season and the seasons to come. But in the case of just getting talent into a team that still very much needs talent to compete with the best of the best in the Premier League and across Europe, I think this is a, a good move for a coach that has shown an ability to mold players and make them into yeah. something more than they are. The, the, the price point is, is a little higher than I would have liked, but it does feel like, and I, and I mean this as a compliment, it feels like a Spurs signing. It feels like the kind of signing that when Tottenham were working the market really well under Pochettino, these are the sort of players that they were targeting, players who aren't the finished product, players who are potential and, and can maybe fit into a, a system well. I agree, Joe, that, that it feels like a very Postacoglu signing in terms of how he will, he will fit into this team. It is interesting that, Postacoglu targeted a player like Johnson rather than a, an orthodox number nine to replace Kane. And I think linked to that is the fact that Postacoglu, and he spoke about this after the Burnley game at the weekend, he wants to use uh, Son in more of a central role and then have Johnson to play the channels and, and, and keep the width. So I think there is a chance, I'm not saying he's going to go straight into the team, but I think there is a chance that by the, by the time the second half of the season comes around, Maybe Brennan Johnson is actually an important figure for, for for Tottenham. I do like the signing, as I say, sixty million. What did you say, Joe? Sixty million dollars, fifty million euros, yeah. something around that mark. Feels a, a, a little high, but to be honest, in this market, you just you just pay what it takes to sign the players, and and you target the player being good enough for your team. And I think Brenton, Brendan Johnson is um, good enough for Spurs and could uh, have an impact. Graham, uh, I know we've all been very positive on Ange Postacoglu so far. I know you've been a little bit more skeptical, a little bit more hesitant to say <laughs> that he's a, a great manager. Are you feeling more positive about him right now? Uh, amazingly, yes, I am feeling more positive from my already high watermark at the start of the season where I said that he was going to be a transformational <laughs> figure for Spurs. I'm surprised at how quickly things are happening for him. I thought, I think my prediction was the first couple of months are going to be really rough and then they'll start to see some results. But right now, I think Spurs are, what, second or third in the Premier League table? So it's going pretty well for them. It's going pretty well. I believe it's going less well for us on a technical side. We may have lost Joe Lowry. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back with uh, more deadline day transfers and then the best and worst moves of the window. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. 
And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Welcome back to you, the listener. Welcome back to you, Joe Lowry. Joe, I'm hey. glad that our, our talk of Brennan Johnson's price tag wasn't what made you decide, you know what? No, I'm done with this show. Thank you for sticking around. <laughs> You're welcome, Taylor. I thought about leaving, um, but I love Graham and Ange too much to do that. I appreciate that. I also feel like maybe you wanted to stick around to talk about Ansu Fati moving from Barcelona to Brighton, a transfer we all saw coming, uh, especially like a year or two ago. We all had Ansu Fati, one of the most like hyped young players in the world, moving to Brighton, which historically I feel like would be a like, oh, look how much money the Premier League has. Oh, they can sign any player for any amount they want. This feels much more like, look how good Brighton have been, how strongly they've developed players, how they seem immune to losing a coach, bringing in a new coach. Nope, they're even better somehow. This feels like a very smart move for pretty much everyone involved, which is not a thing we usually get with deadline day transfers. But maybe I'm just hyped because Ansu Fati in the Premier League means we get to watch him a little bit more often, or at least I will watch him more often. Uh, Joe, since we lost you, you've come back. Where are you on this one? I, I love this move for everyone, Taylor. Like you said, it feels weird to say that about a Barcelona transfer. And I'll, I'll yeah. talk even more positively about Barcelona later on, which, again, is, is How weird much when you, you think about their business. How many levers uh, have they pulled to pay lot, you? It's a lot, Taylor. It's, okay. it's cool, a lot. Cool, cool. Yeah, I know. Cool, it's cool. a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is still very much a Premier League is the Super League type of move, although it feels less so because it is a loan. But, man, I mean, just the fact that the Premier League is a place where even someone like Ansu Fati is going on loan from Barcelona. And the fact that the Premier League team that he's going on loan to is Brighton still feels bizarre. But yes, Taylor, your point about this being a smart Brighton thing to do feels very on brand. When I realized it was a loan, this just checks so many boxes for them. He's another flexible player for Deserby to work wonders with. Super high level talent, great right foot, great speed. The only thing that's been holding him back from being a key contributor for FC Barcelona in La Liga is injuries. He's missed so much of the last three years with injuries. And so the, the thing that's going to define his season in the Premier League isn't his talent. It's not his ability to impact games in the final third. It's not his work rate. It's his health. It's his availability. If he's available, he will find a way into this Brighton team. I read an article from The Athletic, and I apologize, I don't remember who wrote it, talking about how he's not just going to walk into this team and that's true, right? Ferguson's having a good season as the nine, young Irish striker. Joao Pedro brought in as a number 10. You know, Amitoma on the wings, Solly Marsh on the wings. There's quality in this team. I couldn't help, though, but chuckle a little bit as I read it because I feel like that is completely dismissing. And I didn't read the article closely, so maybe the, art, maybe the author had given him a bit more credit. But I felt like it was a bit dismissive of Anzu Fati's talent as someone who's not from the Premier League and therefore isn't worthy of as much praise. I think Ansu Fati is a phenomenal player, and if he's available, Deserbe will find a role for him in this team, and he will play a lot of minutes this year because he real, real good. Now, Joe, we do know that occasionally you forget that you yourself have written articles for The Athletic. <laughs> is there any chance that you wrote this article and you have now forgotten it? No, I, somehow The Athletic has has never asked me to write about Brighton, which is absolutely the right thing to do. They found like 12 people that are more for capable shame. and qualified than me. Uh, Graham, your thoughts on this move? 
So there wasn't a sign-off, Joe, that was like, Matt Turner is God. <laughs> Sincerely, Joe Lowry. That's the tell. That's, oh, I did yeah, write this article. That's at the end of the, you the know. piece. I'll sneak that line in somewhere, usually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there wasn't that at the end of, of, of this article. Um, Joe, I broadly agree on, on Ansu Fati. Phenomenal talent. When he broke through at Barcelona, it really did feel like he was, and this isn't an exaggeration at all, he was the natural heir to, to Lionel Messi. He's given the number 10 shirt when Messi goes to PSG. I think there's significant symbolism in that as well what i would say is i would split his time at barcelona even though he wasn't there he's not been a a player for long i would still split it into two different sections where pre-injury and 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 post-injury so pre-injury the thing that was just most eye-catching and impressive about ansu fati was his conviction and his eye for goal it's one of the things that you see young players break through they look threatening they're maybe good on the dribble they get into good areas but then the final part is missing for them and that was the thing that ansu fati had was he had the instincts of uh of a a true attacker of a a seasoned attacker he would he, he would overperform his expected goals he was very impressive in that regard once he came back from injury that part of his game has kind of dissipated a little bit. And actually, wastefulness has has become a real talking point around Ansu Fati, where he'll, he'll still get into those good positions inside the box, but he is not finding the net with the regularity that, that, that he did when he first broke through. Now, Joe, I know that the value you, that you put on players getting into those positions, so I'm not writing off him rediscovering that scoring touch. He's still getting goal-scoring opportunities, and maybe he will rediscover that at Brighton. But it does feel like, and I know it's very difficult to measure things like confidence, but it, it, it does honestly feel like he just needs to go to a club where he can rebuild that confidence, where he's playing for a manager that truly believes in him, because I'm not totally sure that Xavi does have the utmost face in, 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 in Ansu Fati like he does with Pedri or even uh, Lamine Yamal who's broken through this season so I do think Brighton is a good is a good transfer for him and as much as you can say this about a team in the Premier League it will be beneficial for him to somewhat escape the spotlight at Barcelona hopefully rebuild his game a little bit and then go back to Barcelona and, and fulfill the potential that he showed uh, when he first broke through. Was either of you disappointed that there wasn't an option to buy here? Because I, I hear what, you, what you're saying about the loan, how it makes a lot of sense, how it allows him to develop, how they're not sort of committed if he does pick up those injuries. At the same time, if he comes in and is scoring goals and creating opportunities and, and kind of removes some of that wastefulness, there is a part of me that wonders if Barcelona definitely benefit from this one, maybe a little bit more than Brighton at the end. I- yeah, I think if if there's improvement from Ansu Fati and he gets back to his level at Brighton, Barcelona are going to be keeping him in their squad for a long, long time. Yeah. So I'm not sure an option to buy ever would have been possible. But this is also the benefit of of working loan moves and, and working with different clubs. You establish that relationship. And if it's just kind of an OK to good season for Ansu Fati, Brighton then might have the inside track to working yeah. with Barcelona to get a deal done going forward. It, there's so many unknowns. It's hard to say what's going to happen here. But I, th- I still think even how this deal was structured, Brighton would would have taken that in a heartbeat, and they clearly did. Yeah, I think it's less consequential for Brighton because right now they're working on a 15-year-old Bolivian in their laboratory who I think will be ready in around about 18 months, 12, 12 to 18 months' time. So he can come in when Ansu Fati goes back to Barcelona. There, there was all the talk of the Milan lab like a, a decade or two ago at this point. Yeah. Uh, I w- yeah, now we have the Brighton lab where they're just 
engineering players to then be bought by Chelsea for $100 million. So congratulations to them. Congratulations to Ansu Fati. Uh, I believe that is the extent of the deadline day discussions we're going to have. Uh, those are the, the main players. Other business was done. Much business was done. But now we're going to take a broader look at the transfer window itself. Uh, some of the best moves, some of the worst moves. Uh, Graham, let me ask you this to start. Do we want this to be best moves and then worst moves? Or do we want to just kind of pepper it in whichever one we want to do? Uh, see, I quite like the unpredictability, but I feel right. like as a listening experience, that might be a bit chaotic. So it's your choice, dealer's choice. I, I like chaos. I, 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 let's okay. keep it spicy. Let's have it bounce around. And I think also, I, I think in the notes that we were texting back and forth, Joe, I think I'm with you that I have more best moves than worst moves. I think I have yeah. three worst moves. The, the finding worst moves were difficult to me because odds are, newsflash, transfers aren't going to work out, right? The yep. hit rate on transfers for everybody is so incredibly low that you go out and find a player and they become what you're hoping they'll be and more. So I, I feel like we can almost just throw darts at a board and hit a transfer that's not going to end up mm-hmm. working out or at least not meeting expectations. I, I found a few that I, I'm pretty sure won't do that, but then the rest, I mean, I'll, I'll pick any name out of the hat and, and feel pretty good that I'll be right about it. I think I, I hear you. I think for me, I always go with when it comes to worst transfers, what's the one that I look at and think like that doesn't, make any sense either the Mm. amount spent or the role they're going to play and i feel like there were a lot of transfers that i sort of look at as like okay yeah i see how that could work i I see where that player could be used it doesn't have obvious issues uh and so that was where some were a little bit trickier but i think there's a few contenders for worse moves uh let's start with some of our favorites i'll get us going i think despite the ridiculous price tag jude bellingham to real madrid is a pretty smart move for real madrid uh certainly for dortmund they they get money to spend but uh for him to go to real madrid uh they are 4-0 to start the season he has the last minute winner this weekend He's having his name sung uh, by the Burnabout crowd. It just feels like it is all going very smoothly for a massive signing. Sometimes those massive signings take time to sort of bet in and find their footing, especially at a club like Real Madrid. And sometimes along the way, cough, cough, Aiden Hazard, they never really find the form that we expected from them. Jude Bellingham thus far, not really having that issue. Yeah, yeah. It feels like Jude Bellingham's the guy that the Madrid fans are looking at and doing a double take. Like, oh, that guy's English? Really? Like, he actually is, right? We've done this before. Not a lot of English players come up in La Liga, but this guy, he's just so good. Like, every superlative we've tossed out about Jude Bellingham absolutely fits. I think the price tag is worth it for Real Madrid. 20 years old. He's 20 years old, can play basically anywhere in central midfield, and has done at this point in the season, has played in that number 10 role at the tip of the diamond way more than I thought he would and looked way better in that role than I thought he would. Uh, I'm still a bit floored at how good Jude Bellingham is and he's only going to get better. Yeah. The least English English player of all time is how the uh, the Madrid press of which feels like a backhanded compliment and uh, <laughs> doesn't say a lot about the other English players that have played for for Real Madrid. In in, in the past, I think they think Gareth Bale is English. Someone should tell them at some point that he is he is not English. He is Welsh. Welsh. But nonetheless, countries I, are in this country. How many countries exactly. are in this country? I, I think he's, I, I agree with everything that Joe said. He's, he's settled incredibly well. Is it possible to have a 100 million euro bargain? Because it feels like Bellingham might be that. I think he has helped Real Madrid move into a, a, a kind of different attacking structure post Benzema. Now we'll see how that pans out over the course of the season. I'm not totally convinced that, that that will actually work, essentially playing without an orthodox number nine. But having this system where you have the, the midfield three of Modric, Chiumene, Camavinga, then you have Bellingham in this very attack minded free roll in behind a front two of Rodrigo and Vinicius and Vinicius out injured at the moment but he will come back it has been very fun to watch and a little bit chaotic and that has suited 
Wade Bellingham's game. So, yes, totally agree. He goes down. Despite the price tag, he absolutely goes down as one of my best signings of the window. On a similar note, did you all have Harry Kane to Bayern Munich on your list? Yes, I did. They also are starting quite well. He is already scoring. That's another one that could have gone a different way. We talked about this with Messi and like the sliding doors. If he misses that free kick and then he scores a goal here and there, but it's not quite setting the the league alight, whereas he is very much doing that. Uh, For Harry Kane to go to Bayern, he could have looked bad in the later Hosen. He could have not scored. He could be disjointed instead. None of that is the case. It feels like another smart move from Bayern Munich and another one that sort of puts them head and shoulders above their Bundesliga opponents. Yeah, well, first of all, I don't think anyone looks good in the Lederhosen. That's just my uh, my opinion. He's only been there Fair. for like two weeks, and I've seen videos of him right. in the Lederhosen. He's got the big Stein at Stein beer, and yeah, that that's that's the 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 initiation ceremony. It seems when he signed for Bayern Munich. But yes, he's been. I think the scary thing about Harry Kane is he's obviously played well to start the season. It feels like he's he's still being integrated. It feels like there's another level for him to to go to. And I think he's make, making players around him for Bayern Munich better. I don't think it's a coincidence that Leroy Sané, for example, is all of a sudden in... I mean, it's early days, obviously. He's only played three Bundesliga games, but looks to be in the form of his life for, for Bayern Munich and is, is becoming a very influential player. So, absolutely. you put He's a, he's a plug-and-play option for Bayern Munich, isn't he, Harry Kane? You put him into that attack, and I think he instantly improves that team as a whole. Uh, what other positives, Graham? Uh, we're going to start positive. We're going to try to keep it uh, chill for a little while. Uh, what other moves have you enjoyed? Or did you so enjoy? one suggestion from me, we've already spoken about on, on the show the last couple of weeks, but James Madison to Tottenham Hotspur, I think when you look at the market and, and the price that they paid for him, which was still around off the top of my head, I still think was was around like 50 million euros, something something like that. But nonetheless, when you look at the, the price he's been played, paid for other players and the influence he's already having at Spurs, that seems like a good deal. For me, he is key to Postacoglu's approach. So Postacoglu likes to embolden creative attacking midfielders and get them in between the lines. And James Madison is certainly do, doing that. I also think he's just helped fill the void of personality left after Harry Kane where Harry Kane is obviously a big uh, character and a big figure in that Spurs dressing room and this is something that's difficult to measure but it it does just feel like that team unit uh, has been strengthened in a way that might it might have dropped off after Harry Kane left because James Madison is it's kind of similar to Declan Rice at Arsenal I think his personality has been a factor in, in, in the start he's made there so yeah very impressed with James Madison I think he is reaching a level in his career that we actually as good as he's been we haven't seen this level from him before. Yep, uh, very much had him on, on my list. I think a lot of the communicating I've seen from him, I don't know why I said it with that weird emphasis, emphasis, uh, but the, it seems like he is already sort of bedded in, very comfortable, not uh, at all like overwhelmed by moving to a perceived larger club, but instead I think seems to be running that midfield and, and going a long way towards helping uh, Postacoglu's style uh, find the footing it already has. So I, I've really enjoyed that move. It's a really smart one. I feel like there have been a lot of smart signings coming out of Leicester. I would include Yuri Tielemans on a free uh, to Aston Villa. That was some very smart business in my mind. I think he makes that midfield better. He adds competitiveness there. He makes that attack smoother, uh, can score some goals himself. So I enjoyed that move as well. Joe, why don't you sour the mood a little bit? Give it, Give us one that you don't like as much. All right, I'm going to do two and just really knock through my list because they're oh from boy. the same club. 
Uh, oh, no. They are both oh, no. Fulham-related transfers, okay. so Fulham fans maybe oh, cover your okay. ears. Okay. I, I can do more. I didn't write down any Manchester United ones in my worst category, so my third one is not related to Manchester United. But I do want the record to show, and I feel like I made this clear, I'm extremely skeptical about the business that Manchester United have done. Um, but I, I do not take any joy in making Taylor sad, and so I left them off my list. But for Fulham, Raul Jimenez Thank you. and Alex Iwobi. my list. I, I do not understand, Graham, either one of these moves. So we'll start with Raul Jimenez. He is their Mitrovic replacement, who's off to Saudi Arabia with everybody else and their moms these days. But you know, they didn't pay much for him, Fulham, $6 million after you do that conversion. Uh, but I remember us talking about Raul Jimenez, I believe on a listener question show, and about mm-hmm. kind of what had happened to him and some of the difficulties at Wolves and maybe what the next step would be. We mentioned maybe coming across the Atlantic to North America, MLS or or Mexico, and maybe that being the next step for him. Basically, a step down, right? Instead, Fulham have gone and made him their number nine. He's got four starts, zero goals this year. It's early. Everybody take a breath. But he's not finding chances either. And Graham, what you said earlier about kind of how I evaluate strikers, yeah, it's absolutely right. Like, if the ball's not finding the back of the net, okay, take a breath. It's going to come. If you're not finding chances either, and that's not just a Raul Jimenez problem, that's also a Fulham problem, but that is concerning for a 32-year-old that has never found his form again after a traumatic head injury with Wolves. I'm not trying to make light of that situation or, or put a lot of blame even on Raul Jimenez and all this, but I, I do not think this is a smart signing from Fulham to put that much faith in Raul Jimenez. And then the other, quickly, Alex Iwobi, uh, moving to Fulham for $28 million from Everton. I just don't think he's worth that much. Like, maybe they're, they're not paying him much on the salary side, and so it kind of balances out. Uh, he scored exactly 12 goals in the Premier League in his last six seasons. That's two goals a season for Alex Iwobi. He's not a goal scorer. He's a player that, that, that has a game predicated on physical ability. And at 27 years old, as a wide attacker, who can, yes, come centrally and be more of a dynamo in those areas, like, he's only headed down that peak in terms of his physicality. So it just feels like the wrong signing at the wrong time for a Fulham team that just needs quality. And for me, neither Iwobi or Jimenez fit that bill. Yeah. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with Jimenez especially. That felt like one that made sense when they signed him as a Mitrovic deputy. You're not immediately expecting him to come in and start and score goals. You're It's basically $6 million on a player who has proven he can score goals at Premier League level before that injury. So it felt almost like a roll of the dice. And if it doesn't work, oh, well, it's only $6 million. We can loan him out or sell him on or let him go at the end of the season, whatever it may be. But then they are sort of forced into selling Mitrovic for a lot of money, but not money that they can really reinvest right away or in the way that maybe they need to. And so now it's Jimenez, instead of being a roll of the dice and a let's see what happens, maybe it works out, is now a, oh boy, it better work out because he is our starting number nine and we need the goals. It, it becomes much more of a head scratcher. And Joe, I'm with you. I think Awobi is fine, but I don't think makes a huge difference. They also add Calvin Bassey, Timothy Castagni, a player that I've enjoyed, uh, but obviously didn't have the best of times at Leicester. The Fulham window is 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 a confusing one, but they also added Adama Traore, which is always good times. So at least there's that positive of we get to watch Adama Traore continue to say he doesn't do any sort of weight workouts while he can bench press a car. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> yeah, so who is he kidding? Story. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Uh, Graham, were Fulham anywhere on your list? So Raul Jimenez was actually okay. uh, on my list as well. I just I just don't really get it. I can I can see I can see why why the Fulham recruitment department had him on a list and that his profile is similar to Mitrovic, but that profile is from like three or four seasons ago, and he's just 
Unfortunately, because as Joe mentioned, there's an injury factor there. It's just not the, the same player. Now, I am going to put forward another candidate for worst signing, and I'm, I'm going to head to, uh, to, to Europe. I'm going to head to France, and I'm going to put forward Gonzalo Ramos, who, I don't know if anyone actually noticed this, is now a PSG player, yeah. and I, th- I think PSG forgot that they signed him, because on deadline day, they paid 95 million euros to sign Randall Colomani from Antrath Frankfurt. And it just feels like another Mauro Accardi, who who was a good player, but just the wrong fit for PSG. And I'm not entirely sure where uh, Gonzalo Ramos fits in to this PSG team. He might get goals in league on when Lucho and Luis Enrique rotates, but he is a he's a depth option for PSG because PSG's front three this season will surely be Mbappe, Colomani, and Usman Dembele, who they also signed. That that make that is a natural front three for them to use. I think that might actually be pretty effective. Gonzalo Ramos maybe comes into the the fray as a bit of a, a penalty box poacher, but Gonzalo Ramos after the World Cup, we were talking about being one of the the best young elite level strikers in Europe, and he was going to go to Manchester United and be their next great number nine. So for him to now be a depth option and be down the pecking order at PSG feels a little bit underwhelming. I do think a, a common theme of worst transfers is when we speculate that maybe a club forgot the signings they've made. I think we we had that thought about Chelsea a few different times last season. Feels like we're similarly inclined with PSG. Graham, I like that shout. Uh, we're going to take one more break and we're going to uh, finish up discussing best and worst moves of the window back soon. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player, and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trapp over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com with code ATHLETIC. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going 
to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back. We are talking about the best and worst moves of the summer window. I've gone through a few of my best ones, so I will talk about Everton for a moment uh, in the worst moves of the window category. This is, a, this is a trickier one for me just because I don't think any of the moves necessarily are bad. I think the just overall say business just is maybe say not Ashley great. Young. <laughs> Ashley Young on a free. We don't know what's going to happen. We do know what's going to happen. He is uh, going to run very hard and then probably get injured because he is uh, not quite a spring chicken. Uh, but, but for a club in Everton under Sean Dyche, who uh, their manager, I believe, at the end of the year, promised that they needed a complete turnover squad change. They needed a revolution in the team. They needed a bunch of signings. I don't feel like the, the signings they have had this summer are going to do much to allay concern that they're going to be right back in the relegation zone or in the relegation battle. Yeah. Um, and and even somebody like Arno Danjuma, maybe that has me more hyped before he has the unsuccessful loan to Spurs last season. Spurs have their own issues, but that's one where even a little bit of hype I might have felt is already sort of watered down. So I end up, I think, being most excited by Jack Harrison, who they get on loan from Leeds. And that's really not what you want when you spent... 25 million euros on Beto and 12 million on yeah. uh, Chermiti and other players along the way. So I think I think Beto is, is quite an exciting signing. I wrote about him last season, played for Udinese. There's a really good story with, about him where I think two seasons ago he was playing in the Portuguese lower leagues and he was working in a KFC and now he is a 25 million euro striker in, in, in the Premier League for, for, for Everton. The, 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 the difficulty for Beto is... Essentially, Everton have signed him. They've welcomed him to the club. They've given him the shirt. They've shook his hands and they've gone, OK, you scored 25 goals for us in the Premier League this season for someone who is still developing, who's never played in the Premier League before. And that is obviously not an ideal situation. When you look at the other transfers that Everton have made, I mean, the, the young one just sums up their entire approach for the trans to the transfer window right now, where it's unambitious, it's cheap, it doesn't really solve any problem. And I think they are, despite the fact that Beto, I think, might make a... A bit of an impact. They are in trouble, serious trouble, ever in this season. It uh, there's just been a lot of slander directed towards the 2014 Gatorade High School Player of the Year uh, in that whole conversation, and I I, I just want it on record that I didn't appreciate that. <laughs> Which wait, who is that? Jack Harrison. Jack Harrison. I was Absolutely. hyped about Jack Harrison. I That's think true. Jack Harrison's a great it's one. Tr- I just wanted to say that. Um, I think <laughs> Everton are really terrible, and they're going to be really terrible for a while. But I did just want to drop that Jack Harrison. Nugget, <laughs> thank, so. thank you for that. Uh, but it's it's just also one of those where like they signed Beto as a center forward, they signed uh, Chermiti, who I believe is also a center forward, and then they signed uh, Juma on loan. 
who can be a center forward, I guess, can also play out on the wing. Uh, Jack Harrison can play out on the wing. So, like, they've solved the attack. Uh, I don't know if that was their only issue last season, uh, Everton. I feel like the midfield and the defense might like a word. Uh, so it feels like a team that I think haven't really... You want the transfer window, in my mind, to, to sort of allay concerns and make uh, supporters feel like, okay... I can see how this team is going to be better. I can see how this team might score more goals or be more consistent in the attack. But I don't know if if these signings have really made Everton fans breathe that much easier. And for me, that makes it a negative window overall. Uh, where should we go next? Joe, who do you want to talk about, positive or negative? I'll go positive. I'll go to right. one that went a little under my radar initially, but now I am excited about. Uh, a Matt Turner teammate, Ibrahim Sangare, moving from PSV to oh, Nottingham yeah. Forest. $32 million. 25 years old, has been with PSV since 2020. Ivory Coast International. One of the players for me that every time a transfer window passes and he hadn't moved out of PSV, I was surprised. Not that PSV isn't a high level, but this is a player that I think has a ceiling to be in the best league in the world and to be a real contributor for a team in the Premier League. And, and now he's going to be in position to do just that. Defensive midfielder, can stride forward on the ball as well. Physically dominant, great ball progressor, really nice right foot can impact the game in pretty much every way. I think he is is probably a shade off of you know, the best of the best. Like, I think there's a reason why maybe the Man Cities and Real Madrid's and, and PSG's haven't gone in for Sangare, but he is a hair underneath that level. I think he's a really, really good player, has shown it in the Eredivisie and in all comps for PSV over the last several years now. I think this is a super sharp signing from Nottingham Forest. Yeah, I, I agree, Joe. And this is a signing that really underlines that point about the Premier League being the Super League. The fact that he's gone from a team that is in the group stages of the of the Champions League, a team that surely this season is targeting the Dutch title, to Nottingham Forest, a big club, but let's not forget we're in the Championship like 18 months ago. So I am excited to see him in the Premier League, but it's a little bit jarring to see players of that quality playing for teams that effectively are still fighting relegation this season. Uh Graham, who else did you have on your best moves list? Okay, so a slightly left field suggestion here that may have come from me writing about him for my newsletter over the weekend. But Victor Boniface, which, by the way, is an excellent name and in Scotland means something very, very different. Uh, Boniface is just like a pretty face. Um, but he joined Bayer Leverkusen I mean, it from... Could be, it could mean that in this case, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. That's maybe where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's a handsome guy. Yeah. He uh, he joined Bayer Leverkusen from uh, Union in, in, in Belgium for just 20 million euros. He's got four goals in three games for Leverkusen, who have started the season very, very well. And I think, I don't know if anyone truly believes that they are going to win the Bundesliga title, but certainly there is a belief, Taylor believes that, there is a belief that they're, they're going to take strides forward this season. They're going to certainly be in the top four. And I think a big part of that is down to the physicality and the cutting edge and just general attacking presence that Boniface has, has, has given them. So not a player that I was terribly familiar. I must have watched them because I did watch Union last season and, and European qualifiers and stuff um, when they played Scottish teams. But not a player I was terribly familiar with, but this season seems to have bedded in very, very well to uh, Xabi Alonso's team. I've just always had this like strange confusion with Leverkusen, how they're always like third to sixth. Like th that's just where they are. That's where they exist. No matter how much they spend, no matter which players they sell, sometimes they're worse than that. Rarely are they better than that, uh, at least in the recent history. So to have them 
playing the way they are under Xabi Alonso, uh, a, a man I, I love and have long wanted to root for, but I've never been able to because of the clubs he played for. Uh, it, it's fun to watch them. They are just a really exciting team. They clearly have a lot of ideas about how they want to play, how they want to attack, but then are very strong defensively as well. And I think uh, Boniface has been a really smart signing for a club that are operating in a really intelligent way. So I, I love that shout, Graham, and I love Bayer Leverkusen this season. Uh, long may they be on top of the yeah. Bundesliga until Bayern decide they want to be there instead. Taylor, I've got a, a, a friend here in Scotland who's a Manchester United fan, and recently I asked him, who's, who's the Liverpool player that you secretly yep. really, really liked? His sure. answer was Xavi Alonso. Yep. There's just something about Xavi Alonso that Manchester yep. United fans seemingly really, really secretly admired. Yep. yep. Uh, it's why when Drogba signed for Galatasaray, which is the Turkish club that I like, uh, it it was a very nice moment for me of like long wanting to cheer for Didier Drogba, but not being able to because uh, why cheer for Chelsea? Uh, and yes, I know there are Chelsea fans who listen, and I still ask that same question. So uh, <laughs> yes, it, it's always it's always fun when you get to cheer for the player that you maybe haven't been able to before. Uh, so yay, Boniface, yay, Xavi Alonso. Uh, l- less so buyer as an institution, but uh, as a club, maybe maybe they'll get some silverware this year. That would be fun. Uh, let's keep it rolling. We, I'm sure we've got more names. Uh, I don't have that many more on the negative side uh except for maybe mason mount uh who is starting to look that way especially now that he is uh injured after an already slow start i think i was willing to be talked into this being a smart signing it felt like a player that they had identified as worth spending the amount of money that manchester united spent to bring him in and i think joe uh and and graham and ryan have all made compelling arguments but joe is the first one to i think really explaining clear clear details the idea that he is a player who is like uh would you say auxiliary joe or is that too is that too unkind but it's basically just he's not going to be the man supplementary yeah, I, I think he, yeah, he's got to be like the fourth guy in a team and, and unfortunately for manchester united they don't have three guys that you feel great about ahead of mason mountain in the final third Yay. And so when you then have the amount of money spent for a player who we're now talking about, if, let's say they do go to that double pivot, uh, even if Joe uh, says they definitely won't do that. I know you didn't say that, Joe. Uh, but if they do go to that double pivot, you would assume that it's Bruno starting ahead of them. And then suddenly it's a guy you signed on loan, Casemiro, who's an excellent player, Bruno, who's been there for a while, and then Mason Mount on the bench. Like it, it just it it makes the plan seem less like a plan and more confusing. Yeah. And I think that is, uh, to go back to my initial point, one of those things that when you look at the acquisitions, like Liverpool, I think I was much more critical of, of the signings they had made or more specifically not made. When you look at the midfield departures, I think when last we talked about them, I was more down on them. But then they make multiple central midfield uh, signings that I think will make them a better team. And you can see how they are replacing players, how they are making their team better. With Manchester United, it feels like a bit like plugging up the dam with one finger to then open up a hole with another. It doesn't feel like there is a logical squad build there, much as I wish there were. Yeah, I I personally gave, at the start of the window, I gave Ten Hag the benefit of the doubt because he was very quick out of the blocks with, I want Mason Mount, it doesn't matter the price. I always thought the price was 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 a lot for a player who had one year left on, on his contract. £60 million felt like Chelsea got a great deal. Out of, out of that transfer but I did I had to believe given and I know Taylor you joked about this at the start of the the show but when you look at the signings that Manate made last season I know not all of them were home runs but generally they did improve the team and they were first team players for Manchester United last season so when the window opens and he goes straight for he runs like uh, like somebody at, at Black Friday at a supermarket trying to get their hands on a PS5 he runs into the into the transfer window to get Mason Mount I'm thinking 
he is he's got a plan for Mason Mount. There's 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 a there's something that we can't see here is going to slot into that midfield unit and everything's going to make sense. And it is still early days for Mason Mount, but that that is is not what's happened with his first two or three games for Manchester United, where that midfield looks very very unbalanced, and it kind of already feels like with the Amrabat signing that Ten Hag is retooling already that he's kind of shifting things to, to 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 make up to make amends for the mistake that he's made with Mason Mount now that doesn't mean that Mason Mount can't be a good player from Manchester United I just wonder if all of a sudden now he has a depth option behind Bruno Fernandes and that's actually how he is seen within the squad and that is different to what we were led to believe his status would be at the start of the window uh, Joe I'm gonna go ahead and change the document to say that you think Mason Mount was a smart signing uh, you good with that one could I could I put that one in there and then you can defend it I, I I think arguments can be made, but I'm not the eagerest of eager to be making those arguments at this point this season. Mason Mount was a genius signing. Perfect. Joe. I was writing okay, comic sentence, Taylor. I can see you. You're writing in Times New Roman. It's not right. <laughs> if you oh, don't yeah. put Matt Turner as a god, it's, we, we, we don't know it's not me. Joe that's written it. So, oh, yeah. I, I wrote too bad. I, I wrote, tried to go too quickly and didn't capitalize correctly. And now I know Joe would never make such mistakes. Joe's Shameful. not nearly that slightly of a, sloppy of a note writer. Uh, Joe, uh, any more moves to be discussed, positive or negative? Yeah, I'll run through the rest of my list quickly. The best moves, I've got Jao Cancelo going to Barcelona as a good move for Barcelona, getting him in on loan. Gives Xavi more tools to play with. Like Jao Cancelo, we know, is like a year removed from being the best fullback on the best team in the world and is every bit as good now as he was about a year ago when he was at the height of his powers at Manchester City. The question for Cancelo, and there's a question for Barcelona that I'll get to in a minute, but the question for Cancelo is, is he like mentally here? Is he ready to be a part of a team as they're pushing? That feels like more of a question now than it's been before after his fallout with Pep at, at Man City that we've talked about on this show. Uh, the question for Barcelona is how exactly Xavi fits all the puzzle pieces together, right? And this is the same question with Ilkay Gundogan when he came in very early in the transfer window. Lots of talent in this Barca team, but it feels like it's not the easiest of things to do to figure out how to get all the pieces in. You know, Cancelo could play left back, he could play right back. Xavi's been going with a right back that stays home and, and pushes Lamal forward on the right side and Balde forward on the left side, and, and that's not uncommon at this point on the tactical side in, in global soccer. But where Cancelo fits in that is is not super clear to me, but he's just real good. And it's sort of similar with Ryan Gravenberch. If you can get a player of this quality without totally breaking the bank, and maybe Barcelona did that anyway and pulled a fifth lever somehow along the way. But in terms of adding a talented player to a squad that, that continues to need more talent if they want to compete in Europe, I think that move makes a lot of sense. I know we did just basically European players, but that was never fully specified. So I'm adding Leo Messi to the best transfer list. Selfishly, Who? this has been awesome. That? It's been so much fun. Taylor, I know you haven't heard about this happening mm -hmm. yet, um, but it's been a fairly big thing. Uh, I've just enjoyed it a lot. You could check out The Big Thing if you want to hear more about Messi in Miami. But it, it's been awesome. It's been pure spectacle and entertainment, and I've loved every bit of it. So he's on my list of the best transfers. And then finally, I've got a, a more general one on the bad side. Real Madrid for not getting off their Mbappe train just yet. So this is not a specific move, but maybe a lack of a move. Karim Benzema goes to Saudi Arabia, and they don't replace him. Yes, they bring in 33-year-old 30, 30, Jose Lu who is a good player, but not an every game starter for Real Madrid at this point in his career. They don't really then replace Karim Benzema, surely because they've been holding on to a spot for Kylian Mbappe. 
And I just wish Real Madrid would kind of let that go for now. I'm not sure it's possible for them. But go out there, find another high-level number nine. There were some on the market this year. Whether or not they had the funds to get them, I, d I don't have a lot of clarity on. But if you're holding out for Mbappe, just set that dream aside. Find somebody that works really well with the star of your attack, which is Vinicius Jr., and start to cook from the beginning of the year instead of being in this limbo pattern that genuinely could cost them a title, a, a La Liga title or a Champions League title or whatever it is. I think they've impacted their ceiling for this season this much to maybe hold out for a player that really doesn't make a lot of sense for them anyway. I, I'm not sure that they had the finances to go and sign Mbappe because they had to finish put the finishing touches on that giant printer that they've been building that apparently also doubles as their new stadium, if anyone has seen what the Santiago <laughs> Bernabeu looks like now. Do you remember that was that story during COVID? Maybe you don't know this story. This feels like a very kind of uniquely British thing, but it was a story that swept social media during COVID that they were going to build a giant emergency lasagna inside Wembley Stadium and that was going to feed the country. I feel like Real Madrid have gone one step further and have built a giant printer in the centre of Madrid. I was so confused what direction that was going that when we were still talking about the Bernabeu, I thought that was like La Masia Lasagna. And I was like, what is, is that Lasagna? I don't know that word. And then it took me a minute to understand what was happening entirely. No, Graham, I do not remember that. They were going to make yeah. a giant lasagna? There's no further context either. It was just one of these things on Facebook, which, as people all know now, is the old people's social network now. And essentially it was like a Daily Mash article or an Onion article that they were building a giant emergency at, at lasagna at Wembley. And all these like middle-aged to elderly people commenting, saying, is that really a good use of uh, resources at this time of emergency? It became a whole thing. It, <laughs> honestly, Google it. It was weird. It was a weird time. We moved into the weird section of the show. The On that note, uh, the Jao Felix, Antoine Griezmann like swap it feels really like the uh the Spider-Man meme of them pointing at each other it just feels very like wait which one of you plays for Atleti now and which one of you is with Barcelona it just sort of switches and and I get a little bit confused about who goes where Barcelona's business is is really fascinating with looking at their expenditures is what three million euros I think is what transfer marked has it as uh and that's uh they spent money for oil Romeo uh uh, Gundogan and Igor Martinez on freeze loan deals for Felix and Cancelo and then selling players for over 100 million euros but then also the wages that came off those books are probably not insignificant so I'm gonna guess they did some some necessary business uh, exemplified by the fact that Jao Felix and Jao Cancelo have both been registered which was a concern this time last week so they've they've cleared enough of the books to to make those moves happen and I do think that they are maybe a better team for it, even with all of the departures. I think in a lot of ways they have a, a streamlined but still very talented squad. So credit where credit's due to Barcelona, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> Graham, uh, Joe ran through his remaining names. Uh, any that you would like to mention here? So just off the back of that, Yao Felix was on my was on my worst signing because I just don't really know what the plan is Yay, for him. He, me too. A, a very <laughs> a very different player to Usman Dembele, who, by the way, Barcelona didn't want to sell, and then realised there was a clause in his contract that PSG could activate. They forgot about that clause. PSG activated it. He left Barcelona. Yao Felix, I think, is meant to be the replacement for Usman Dembele. They are completely different players. Like they Explain. they could not be any different in how they play the game. Usman Dembele, some a winger, a very, a very kind of orthodox winger who stretches the pitch and uses his pace. Felix likes to come inside and and, and play with the ball in central areas. Yao Felix is just a very confusing player at this 
point, I think on Monday's show with Ryan and Weekend Review, I, I likened him to the football player equivalent of Roberto Martinez, where Roberto Martinez, because he looks like a good manager, gets a lot of big gigs. I think Yao Felix looks like a good football player, but actually when you look at his output, hasn't really ever justified that opinion. And, and so it's a little bit confusing that clubs like Barcelona are still interested in him having said that he he created this move for himself Yao Felix where he in an interview said I want to play for Barcelona there was no speculation at that point and then Barcelona kind of got strong-armed into signing him on loan so he is versatile maybe he gets a good amount of game time in a number of different positions across the front line I, I just don't envisage him being an important player for Barcelona and then um, to skip back to my uh, my best transfers a couple more suggestions here so Alexis McAllister in a, in a market that really exploded for central midfielders I think 35 million pounds for him is an absolute bargain very versatile feels like a, a Klopp midfielder in that sense that he can play in a number of different roles he hasn't been allowed to play his best football yet due to playing as the six for Liverpool. Um, but I think once Endo comes into that team, we'll see him in a slightly more advanced role and that's when we'll see him have a real influence for Liverpool. And then finally, James Ward-Prowse, who yep. is a, a limited player. And, and I think Edson Alvarez coming into that, we that West Ham midfield will compensate for some of those limitations. But for a David Moyes West Ham team who were already arguably the strongest at set pieces in the Premier League, having the best set piece taker in the Premier League makes some sense. And he's started very, very well. I think he's already got four or five assists for West Ham in like three games. So yeah, he's, he's, he's on my list as well. He got added to my fantasy team very quickly, James Ward-Prowse, and has not uh, disappointed yet. Uh, I, I had West Ham's business on the whole as being uh, my final uh, positive. Graham, I know that you were slightly concerned about Mohamed Kudush, uh being signed yeah. and what that might mean for him and what David Moyes might do to him. But I still think a very smart signing. Uh, Edson Alvarez, you mentioned, James Ward-Prowse, uh, Mavropanos. Eh, sure, why not? Uh, but the, but those first three, I, I think, are all really smart signings uh, and do make West Ham uh, better than they were, especially with the loss of Declan Rice in the summer. I think that that sort of goes yeah. at least some way towards solidifying that team when it felt like, oh, they lost Declan Rice. Well, who knows what's going to happen? Now it's more of a like, oh, who knows what's going to happen in a positive way. Yeah, I think I'm a massive fan of uh, of Kudus. I just need to wait and see what West, yeah. uh, what Moyes' plan is for him before I make a judgment on that. I'm just looking through their business. Mavropanos, they really wanted a new, uh, a kind of dominant center center back. They went for Harry Maguire. There was a links with a couple other players. Mavropanos <laughs> is a center back, but I'm not sure he's going to be that figure for them. Yeah. So that's maybe something they left on the table. Maybe, was... maybe we'll see them in, move in January for that player. <laughs> They wanted a dominant center back, so they went for Harry Maguire. Yeah, that should do it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, congratulations, though, to the teams that made smart moves. Uh, commiserations to the teams that made bad moves until those moves work out and then we look foolish. Uh, but either way, Graham Ruthven, thank you for talking out some transfers with myself and Mr. Lowry today. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Mr. Lowry, the same thanks, but this time from uh, Graham and myself instead of you and myself. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Taylor. <laughs> Listeners, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for bearing with that very confusing and circuitous conclusion. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.